Hello, I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to the final episode of this second series of A Winning Mindset brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing and now worldwide Paralympic insurance partner Allianz. Our aim over these 10 episodes and in the first series has been to introduce you to stories with Paralympians that will spark confidence in your everyday life. Stories of challenges, ups and downs, determination and excellence. Please do go back and listen to any of the episodes you may have missed with Paralympic stars such as Marcel Hoog, Tatiana McFadden and Johnny Peacock, plus Hollywood actor RJ Mittick. In this run, we've been focusing on mental health, getting to know the true power of having the right team behind you and preparing you for what's ahead. To round off this series, our guest is swimmer Jessica Jane Applegate from Great Britain. She has seven Paralympic medals in all, spanning three games, and competes in the classification for athletes with an intellectual disability. Now, sometimes I feel that people only think about Paralympians being in a wheelchair or having a prosthetic limb or whose vision is impaired. So I focus here with Jess on the challenges faced by an athlete, by a person with an invisible intellectual impairment. Jess, I'm really delighted you can be with us today. Now, being a swimmer, have you been up for hours already? Yeah, I was up at four this morning. I probably should have got up a bit earlier because the car was frosty, but hey, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are definitely putting me to shame there, Jess. And I believe it was only relatively recently that you passed your driving test. That must have sparked confidence in you. How's it going so far? Yeah, it's going okay. Um, I passed, I think, two years ago. But I don't, I don't really seem to have much luck. Thankfully, none of them have been my fault. But I, my car got car got written off this year. And then I got my new car. And three days after driving it, someone drove into the back of that one as well. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, well, we'll leave, we'll leave that there. We'll leave that to the insurance companies. Um, we'll talk about sport and, and uh, your life instead. Now, you've won medals at three Paralympics, including a gold at London 2012 and in Tokyo last year. You compete in the... S14 classification, the category for athletes with intellectual impairments. For those people who might not know, can you just give us a sense of what your condition or conditions involve? It's hard to explain because obviously I've lived with it my whole life. I don't know I'm doing stuff until people are like, what are you doing? I don't know. Maybe in training, I'll read something and I'm adamant that that's what I read. And everyone's like, Jess, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing the set. And they're like, no, you're not. You're doing it completely different and you're going off the wrong times. I'm like, oh, am I? <laughs> I have no idea what's going on half the time. <laughs> I just go with the flow. And is that kind of how it is that you have to get very kind of clear instructions and then do them immediately or do them over and over again? Is is that how it works? Yeah, but sometimes I can still get clear instructions and still do it completely, <laughs> completely wrong. But some days are better than the others. Yeah, we tend to have the whole set written down as well because I like I need to be able to see something as well as hear it, if that makes sense. And then I need it repeated a few times. But luckily, the swimmers know me and I've been in that squad for over 10 years and they're all like, Jess, this is what we're doing. Jess, this is what we're doing. That's what we're doing. So they help me out a lot. I believe that the first time you were put into water, let's say, was, was when you were incredibly young. So I don't expect you to remember that very first time. But what are your earliest memories of swimming just you know just being in the water just having fun mum used to work at a campsite she used to work at the bar and I would be able to swim while she was at work so 
I just remember messing about. I could spend all day in there and just be happy. But apparently I could swim without armbands at 18 months old. I say swim, stay afloat. And how does it make you feel when you're actually in the water? Even, you know, even now, but going back to when you were first doing it as a child, what what kind of feelings? Because I could stay afloat and could kind of swim. I felt like it was somewhere I could kind of be normal because everyone is, everyone's trying, everyone's learning to do the same thing. I guess it was a sense of normality. Like I only ever had friends at swimming. I never had friends anywhere else. So it was like my social life at the same time. Was the water the only place where you felt like that? Yeah, or it sounds really funny, but all being with my dogs. I love my dogs so much. So I just, dogs are just good in general. (laughs) What are your dogs' names? Are they there with you now? Missy's decided to pick her ball up and lay on top of a teddy that makes a lot of noise. And then I've got Patch, who's actually living, laying in front of the fire in the living room, which is much nicer. But they're both rescue dogs. I rescue and foster dogs. And we did have another one before Christmas, but unfortunately he passed away and he was a German shepherd, big black German shepherd called Reno. We'll listen out for Missy and Patch in, in, in the background then. But they give you that same sense of security and safety because in terms of everyday life, Jess, you know, away from swimming, away from sport, what kind of challenges do you face and are, you know are there things that you particularly struggle with about kind of what we might call normal everyday life yeah mainly just me I've tried to hide it so I've got really good at hiding it from people if that makes sense because I think I spent like my whole childhood dealing with people so I wanted to do my best to blend in but I used to get angry when I could hear people eating <laughs> For no, like for no reason. It was just like I'm really sensitive to like knives and forks and stuff like that. And I think I used to embarrass mum a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's embarrassed you as well in, in, on plenty of occasions. That's what mums do. <laughs> and it's interesting, you know, when I hear you talking about kind of hiding, obviously you've now got to a position in your life where you're performing competing in front of thousands of people in a huge arena and obviously millions of people watching on tv at home as well that's a that's a real jump isn't it yeah it is but I still have that sense of security of swimming but it's it's really hard to explain to people like different classes what they mean because like even in my class people have got various different types of learning disabilities and it's really hard for people to understand that everyone's affected differently could you only be in that situation with a big crowd and lots of people watching if you're swimming you know that would that kind of environment frighten you if you were doing anything else except swimming yeah possibly I don't really like shopping I don't really like busy places but I think when you're on poolside everyone's in the stands and they can't get you if that makes sense you're away from them you're obviously busy so I'm thinking about my race I'm not really thinking about them I think maybe if I overthought it a bit too much, then maybe it would worry me. But also when I take my glasses off, I can't see. So <laughs> to me, they're not there. I think lots of people listening will understand the idea of feeling safe in, in the water or fe- feeling it's, it's a kind of, it's a specific kind of safety, isn't it? We're not talking about they feel safe because, uh, you know, outside of the water, they're, they're worried about having an accident or something. It's a safety of just feeling secure, isn't it? 
yeah and it's somewhat something that I'm good at so like it's nice to be doing something that I'm good at I'm not necessarily good on land so <laughs> um, it's much better for me to be in the pool Let's just talk about lockdown, actually, because you had a huge spa kind of pool delivered to your back garden. Tell us about that. We actually contacted the company because they were looking after loads of Olympians. And I was like, oh, I wonder if one would fit in our garden. So anyway, I contacted them over Instagram and was like, oh, how much are they? And I was blown away by the cost. It was like £30,000. I was like, hmm, I don't think UK lottery funding is going to stretch that far. <laughs> one of those so anyway I was just laughing with the person who manages their social media like about it and anyway left it there and a few days later I had a message and it was like hi this is Jim the owner of BH Tubs please can you phone me and sent me his number and I saw the message mum stood next to me and I was like well boss okay we'll just phone him but I'm not very good I'm not very good with speaking to new people unless mum's here so I rang him when she was with me and he was like, right, well, obviously we don't have any swim spas, but at the moment we have a hot tub available and I'd like to help you with your recovery. So we originally had a hot tub delivered for the first lockdown and that was just to help with massage and stuff. And then he did a surprise because he had to sell that tub eventually and changed over for a swim spa because he was adamant that lockdown was going to go on for a lot longer. And he was very right. And I think one of the other Olympians had moved to a centre, so they didn't need it no longer. So he had one delivered to mine and they just about got it in the garden. But yeah, like I c- couldn't believe like how generous someone could be in such an uncertain situation for a business. Just lending someone like a £30,000 hot tub and swim spa, it was like, really? So yeah, I was extremely grateful for that. And obviously it did did the trick. It helped you to another gold medal in, in Tokyo. Definitely. And I think it helped with peace of mind more than anything. Like some days were hard, weren't they, in lockdown? And it was nice to just be able to get out there and just do a little bit. But some days were so cold that you couldn't really stay in there too long because you'd get too cold. Because <laughs> how important is, is home to you and having a familiarity with everything around you? Yeah, it's really important to me because um, my dogs are at home my family are at home and everything I need is here. And I think looking after my mental health at that point was more important than going somewhere that I didn't really know that well, just to train and not be able to do anything else and live in a hotel room. It wasn't going to be for me. Ultimately, I think we made the best decision to stay here and just so I could be with my family more than anything because um, they helped me a lot. How important are your family and, and your mum, especially your mum, Dawn? Yeah, really important. She pretty much does most things for me. She does my banking. She does all of that kind of stuff. And she used to drive me. She spent 10 years driving me to the pool and back. So, you know, that's dedication from a parent, getting up those hours and not actually doing anything other than waiting in the car for two hours. Obviously, I wouldn't have made it without her doing it all. How does being with your mum help your mental health, not just during all the lockdowns, but just, just you know, generally on a day-to-day basis? I mean, as I've got older, it's like I've had to take a lot more responsibility. But when I was much younger, it was always, come on, Jess, you can do this. And just like things that 
I'd get upset about. She'd be able to talk me around. Well, you can tell just how much Jess loves her mum. So let's hear from her now. Brought to you by Allianz, a long-standing and now worldwide Paralympic insurance partner of the International Paralympic Committee. We've been introducing you in this series to the people behind the Paralympians, the ones that spark their confidence and help them prepare for what's ahead. I spoke to Jess's mum, Dawn, about her daughter's intellectual impairment and asked her when she started to notice that things weren't quite right. Jessica was born with many underdevelopments, so she was in and out of hospital as a baby, so had lots of problems from birth, so had development problems from beginning. So there were always issues her whole life, and at preschool, she was behind everybody else and had learning support. So they were always there. And and were the issues that Jess had from the start, were they issues that you were expecting before she was born? Had there been any sort of warning or was, was, it, was it all a shock? I had a very, very poorly pregnancy. I was ill throughout and through scans and different doctor's appointments, I was told that Jessica was going to be very underweight, but that was about all really. But she was born with different complications. So nothing that we expected really, but nothing that you don't deal with. Well, I was going to say, coming on to the kind of how did you deal with it bit, what was your approach and your kind of family's attitude towards Jessica's birth? And and as you say, the complications she had and how you were going to all deal with that together? Life throws all sorts of things at everybody in general, doesn't it? And I think as a family, we just got together and got on with things. Jess has had lots and lots of operations on her feet and through her whole childhood and adulthood has had many surgeries. And right before Rio, she had throat surgery, literally nine weeks before competing out in Rio And several weeks before London, she had surgery. So it's just been her whole life. We don't know any different. And when you're in that environment and you're used to that environment, you wouldn't change it. You're just used to it. I wouldn't change her for anything. And you're Jess's most important support. We've been hearing about that from Jess already. But where... Where did you turn for support? Where do you turn for support? Is there much help out there for parents of autistic children? We didn't really know that Jess had autism. Jess was diagnosed with learning difficulties and development issues. So that they were her main problems and are her main problems. So she had lots of growth problems. So she has underdevelopments in her legs and bones her throat she's had surgery on, her lungs, all those sorts of things. But things that you can't see. So people view Jess as what a lot of people call as normal because you can't see Jess's problems. And learning, you can't see learning problems. They're they're, they're not visual, are they? Jess describes being in the pool as being in her own little world and and a place that she feels safe, I guess, from the challenges of society, I suppose you could say. And 
to a certain extent, do you feel that same sort of security when you see your daughter happy and, and well when she's in the water? Absolutely. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? When you know someone's happy and in the place that they want to be and they feel safe, it's, I guess, their zone, their comfort zone. And we'd all like one of those, wouldn't we? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And I think that's been brought home, hasn't it, to lots of people over the last couple of years as well. And, and in ordinary everyday life, what are the challenges that Jessica faces and, and how do you How do you help her through those? I mean, every day is a different day. Jess lives with me and the majority of things like that I take care of. So she doesn't have to worry about things like that. Her coach deals with a lot of things. So, you know, most things like that are taken care of. She doesn't have to worry. She doesn't have to stress or, or, or worry about things like that. She has now learned to drive. That's taken her five years, which is a massive, massive achievement for her. We're so proud of her. The things that people take for granted and can pick up very quickly takes Jess a long time. And Jess needs the the routine of things to remember things because she'll forget very quickly. And the continuity, like when we went into lockdown, Jess stayed home most well, all of the British swimmers who were on a programme travelled to high performance centres and trained at a pool and just stayed home because she needs the support of her family around her and the, the continuity of the familiar surroundings. Jess doesn't cope very well, so she stayed home. And British women were very good with that. They supported her, knowing that she couldn't cope away from home and her mental health would struggle. And she was the only one that didn't travel. We were very, very fortunate. And a hot tub company lent her a swim spa. I mean, they're ginormous. We've only got a very small garden. They, they had a job to crane it in. Crane it, crane it in, really? With an actual proper industrial crane to lift it up and over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they are massive and squeezed into our little garden. And she trained in that throughout the, the lockdowns. Um, so we were very, very fortunate to have the support of British women and the hot tub company so she could remain at home and and have that support around her mental health yeah she could be in those familiar surroundings and still do what she you know wanted to do needed to do yeah so she had her family and her dogs and she could go on the one hour walk whereas if she was in Manchester she wouldn't know where she was she wouldn't you know and it would all be too much. What was it like for you having to watch from home in Tokyo a few months ago? Oh my goodness. Well, I was getting up, going to work, coming home, setting alarm clocks, getting up in, I think it was, was it half past one in the morning to watch heats, then chatting to Jess on the phone after she'd done swim down, then It was kind of, I'd have to go out, walk the dogs and get back before finals in the morning and then go to work. And it's like, oh, I've not actually slept. (laughs) I've had like a few hours sleep. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely exhausting. 
Really? And I guess, I mean, people, people at your work must be aware of Jess and, and, you know, they must have been trying to follow her progress as well, were they? They must have been sort of at least, at least chatting to you in the morning when you got in to say, how did she do? Some people were watching, they they weren't getting up to watch heats. I mean, who would want to do that? And you can't blame them. A few people did, but not many. They'd just ask, how did it go? (laughs) Um, But a lot of people watched the finals in the morning. They'd sneakily watch it on the phones or, you know, toilet break, (laughs) take the phones to the toilets and things like that. But loads of people watched the finals and we're really, really fortunate. The local area, she's got great support in the local area. She's been around a long time, hasn't she? So, um, yeah, she's got brilliant support locally but the fact you were doing that you know you were getting up at all hours watching the races then being in contact with her I mean that's such that's such a level of devotion I wasn't the only one her her coach does it at every single event and no matter where in the world she is he does exactly the same her home program coach and I think that's why they've got such a good relationship Alex will be there no matter what it doesn't matter where where she's in the world he is always on the phone so I speak to her after the race he will speak to her pre-race and then go through the race with her afterwards as well and just coming back to everyday life to to finish Dawn you must be very aware of other people's behavior around Jess and how other people respond to her perhaps in 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 the street or in in some of those mundane situations we were talking about earlier Nothing's ever perfect. But I do think we've come a long way. She had a a TikTok video that went viral when she was in lockdown because she was training in the swim spa out in the snow. And it was 50-50. She got ever such a lot of support. Well done to be training in the snow. It's incredible. I hope you make Tokyo. It's fantastic what you're doing. And then she got a lot of really negative abuse. But then I think that is lack of understanding. But that must make you feel terrible to see that kind of abuse coming into your daughter. I always say don't read it. They just need educating around that. And you just get keyboard warriors out there all the time who are just picking for a fight. So you just have to try and ignore it. And if, if they're not picking on Jess they'll be picking on somebody else so you just have to try and ignore these things and rise above it oh I think she can do anything she wants I think she can achieve anything she puts her mind to she's unbelievable and there are probably parents listening to this right now who are in the same situation that you're in or a similar situation what would you give what advice would you give to those those people raising a child with with an intellectual impairment Never, ever doubt them and never hold them back. Let them try anything, do anything. We all make mistakes, learning disabilities or not. Let them have a go. Well, isn't Dawn just fantastic? I think we would all love to have a mum like her being right behind us for what's ahead. Coming back to you, though, Jess, the obvious question after hearing from your mum is that you had to go to Tokyo without her because of the COVID restrictions. So how difficult was that? And how did you manage to keep some sort of connection to your mum back at home? Because obviously you rely on each other a lot, but she can't always be there for you with situations like this. 
I learned from a very young age that mum wasn't going to be able to come everywhere because British women wouldn't allow it. I spent, goodness, the first three years, I think, of my career crying every day I was away to my mum about everything and anything and British women didn't really know what to do with me at the beginning because I'd just cry the entire time because I just didn't want to be away from home. But I think eventually I had to just deal with the fact that I was going to be away. And I think as the years, because I'd been doing it for, it's coming up to 10 years since London this year. So I think I had to deal with her not being able to come to everything. And then obviously Rio was incredibly expensive, so she didn't get to come to that. And we'd already planned for her not to come to Tokyo because, again, that was going to be too expensive. So I think we'd already we already had a plan of her not coming to competitions because it's too much money. So we always just make sure that we keep in contact over phone and stuff every day. Um, and she sends me updates of the dogs when she stays at home, and I'd much rather her be looking after the dogs at home rather than me worrying about what she's doing in a hotel like on her own and what's your support network like then when you're competing and your mum is having to stay at home who 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 are you turning to when you're in these kind of far-flung countries and places and you've got the pressure of competing etc who's there to help you in those situations yeah my mum is always at the end of the phone and sometimes when I don't want to worry mum with too much I go to my coach and he's really good. Like he's meant to be a coach, but you know, sometimes he's pretty much like a father figure in my life because he's always there and he listens to pretty much anything that I've got to say. And he really helps with like, obviously the worries about racing and training and all sorts of other things while I'm away. And then I have my partner as well. And he's pretty good at just listening. Does your autism make a difference to what you do in a training session, either for good or bad? I'm thinking, like, are you good at constantly trying to meet certain times, for example? Or do you enjoy repeating tasks over and over again? If I'm trying to learn like a new thing in swimming, it takes me a long time. I need to be told over and over and over and over again. As the autism thing, I think more things with the autism side I I don't know their autism until it's happened. So sometimes I'll just react to something without thinking about any consequences. How do you find that? How do you deal with that when when people just don't realise that and you know, forgive me if you don't like this this phrase then say, but you know, when people don't realise that there is something wrong in inverted commas, what you know, how do you how do you deal with that? I find it quite annoying because sometimes I wish that I just had a visible disability because then people would just, you know, shut up <laughs> um, rather than going, what is wrong with you? And then you have to reel off a list because they think just saying a learner disability isn't enough. They want to know exact diagnoses and what goes on. So sometimes I wish that I did just have one arm and people would be like, oh, she's got one arm rather than being like, oh, she's got this wrong with her, that wrong with her, this wrong with her to make like that classification, if that makes sense. No, it absolutely does. I mean, I'm conscious that I started this interview by asking you to describe your your, your disability. So do you find that frustrating or? No, because I think people need to understand because they just don't know. I know it is like curiosity, like people want to know what is what is wrong with you. But it's a hard, it's a hard question to ask. If there are people listening to this, Jess, who either have autism or 
another intellectual impairment themselves, or perhaps they're parents of a child with certain conditions. What advice would you give to somebody listening who's in that world in terms of how to get the most out of their life? Just ignore people, to be honest. That is my biggest thing. Ignore what anyone else has to say. Do whatever you want to do. And you can achieve anything your mind wants because if you believe that you can, you can do it. Perfect. And your testament to that, Jess, with your own seven Paralympic medals, you will have sparked confidence in so many people in a similar situation. And I assume you just keep going, keep rolling on to the next challenge? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Paris is only three years away or two years away now. So we're just going to keep going and see see what happens. It would be nice to get to a fourth Games, but you just never know what the future holds. Like over Christmas, I had COVID, so I was out of the water for a while. So we're just getting back. So fingers crossed for this year that I'll make the team. And I assume, Jess, that Paris, given your location over in East Anglia on the eastern coast of England, I assume that's one your mum would get to. Your mum could swim to Paris, in fact, couldn't she? Yeah, she's really excited. <laughs> I'm not so much excited because obviously it's hanging on for two years, but um, she's very excited because her friend has said they can go over in the camper van. So they'll go over and cross over to Calais and take the camper van over. So they're very excited. Oh, brilliant. Oh, that sounds good. I'd like to I'd like to join them on that trip if I can. Anyway, I hope that you make Paris 2024. I'm sure you will. And Commonwealth Games, obviously, later this year as well is a is a target I know as well. So uh, best of luck for all that. And thanks so much for speaking to us. Thank you. Well, there we go. A great way to round off this series. Really fascinating to speak to Jessica Jane Applegate, a Paralympic multi-medalist with an intellectual disability. Have a go at things was a central theme there, I think, even if your route to success doesn't look like somebody else's. And I think all of us, myself included, have a duty to learn more about this category of impairments and do more to make life a bit easier for people with some of these invisible disabilities. Jess and her mum Dawn are two fine role models, as you've just heard, as is Todd Hodgetts, the Australian shot putter who I interviewed in the first series of A Winning Mindset. So please do go and listen to Todd as well if you want more on this subject. Well, that's it for the second series of A Winning Mindset, brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their worldwide insurance partner, Allianz. It's been a pleasure to speak to 10 more athletes over the last few weeks. Thanks for listening, and we'd be very grateful if you would subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. And we hope to speak to you again soon.